0: Here's another inspiring speech recorded at Communities in Control, Australia's biggest and best annual community sector gathering. Julia Gillard's term as Prime Minister was characterised by many such initiatives. Amidst the controversies of the hung parliament and the bitterly fought battles over the role of gender, somehow a raft of socially progressive reforms were given life. Among them was the introduction of the National Disability Insurance Scheme and the Gonski School reforms, as well as stewardship of the National Broadband Network, Australia's first paid parental leave scheme. And of course, she presided over a cabinet that had more than one woman. These things matter. These things change the nation and these things change lives. Whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, you'd be hard-pressed not to admire Julia's stoicism, her grace under enormous pressure and her ability to roll up her sleeves and get things done. Now, we all know of Julia's great passion for education. And since leaving politics, she's taken up a position as chair of the Global Partnership for Education, and she is also honorary visiting professor at the University of Adelaide. And believe me, she's on a plane a lot because she's been recognized and acknowledged internationally as being a leader in this area. To present the 2014 Joan Kerner Social Justice Oration, it gives me great pleasure to welcome the Honourable Julia Gillard.
1: Thank you so very much. I start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet and in a spirit of reconciliation paying my respects to Elders past and present. Can I thank Carol for that very generous introduction and can I say to her if I burst into song too (laughs) this room would be cleared, Uh, I and the uh, other members of my family are about the only non-singing Welsh people on the planet so uh, no singing for me today. Uh, Can I acknowledge too Dennis Moriarty who's known to all of you, the Group Managing Director of our community and I thank him personally for making the arrangements for me to be here today. Can I thank Father Joe Caddy, CEO of Catholic Care and can I acknowledge all those whose hard work has meant that this wonderful event, including all of you, can go ahead. It is my very great pleasure indeed and honour to deliver the Joan Kerner Social Justice Oration, and in doing so, I am so incredibly conscious that I'm following two women of great talent who are both friends: Sharon Burrow, who just last week was re-elected as the leader of the International Trade Union Movement, and Joan. It is a. Thank you. It is a great, great pity that Joan is unable to be with us today. I too got the very late night text message. I know from each of us to her, we send all of our best wishes and I hope that hearing about the success of this event gives her energy and strength. And even though we miss her presence, it is absolutely fitting that this lecture is named in Joan's honour. Joan epitomises what it means to campaign for social justice in Australia. Joan was not only dedicated in her life to the pursuit of social inclusion, she also embraced environmental protection, women's equality and community driven development. And she was pivotal to building the language around and definition of what a socially inclusive Australia should look like. Now that's fundamentally important. We can only be united in our pursuit of a goal if we understand and can articulate the realisation of that goal. When Joan spoke to you in 2012, she defined social justice as fairness. It is to this simple but apt definition that I will speak to you today. But I'd have to say my first memories of Joan Aunt of her elegantly expounding theories of social justice. I actually first met Joan simply because she was Dave's mum. <laughs> Dave Kerner became a friend of mine through the student movement, and we have been mates for the lifetime since. I remember Joan from back then, a feisty woman, small in stature but big in impact, telling her university aged son exactly what she thought about the cleanliness of his student house, (laughs) his diet, his lifestyle and his friends. (laughs) Fortunately, I got the thumbs up and I have been grateful ever since. Not everybody did. I didn't just get to keep my university friend. I was embraced by the whole Kerner family. I shared a house with Kate Kerner, Joan's daughter and met and talked to her very wise husband, Ron and I sat, listened and learned from Joan. I have never stopped learning from her or being inspired by her. A keen advocate for education, Joan spearheaded the grassroots campaign for educational reform in this great state in the 1970s, boosting the most disadvantaged schools and promoting equal access for all students. Through my own parliamentary career and as Prime Minister, I took up this fight nationally, leading the most significant reforms to school funding and quality in Australia's history. Like me, Joan was also a first, the first female Premier in Victoria. For the pride and the pain that such a first brings, I am sure Joan shares my view that the opportunities far outweighed the challenges. As a founder of EMILY's List, Joan worked to ensure other women with a commitment to social justice and progressive politics had the momentum they needed and the support they needed to enter parliament and to make their own mark in creating a more socially inclusive Australia. I have been proud to work alongside her in that endeavour. Joan remains one of Australia's great champions of social justice and I'm honoured to deliver this lecture in her name to you today. Like Joan, I have sought to use my own career to defend and advance fairness. As a university student, I joined my peers, including Dave, in fighting against Malcolm Fraser's education cutbacks. Yes, for the young people in the audience, it was a long time ago. (laughs) And we sought to reform the Australian Union of Students to refocus its advocacy on the needs of students rather than foreign policy. I worked for eight years as a lawyer defending the rights of working people, including badly mistreated outworkers, mostly women, exploited by the clothing and textiles manufacturing industry. During my years in Parliament, I worked to deliver policies that reflected the values of the Labor Party and labour movement, values that centre not only on fairness in the workplace, but on building an Australia that will deliver a better life for our children. Like many others, and I'm sure like many of you in this room today, my own understanding of social justice began with a childlike sense of inequality. The children at school, who failed to keep up with their studies, distracted by challenges at home. The migrant kids, who struggled with a new way of life and learning. Differences amongst us between those who had plenty and those who did not have much at all. Even then I had my own ideas about how to address this lack of fairness. It had to be through education. My parents had both been denied an education and were determined to ensure that my sister Alison and I were not. I formed the view early that a great education could change a child's life and that fairness demanded that every child receives a great one. I still believe that now, as I did then, that education can unlock social justice. For me, a great public education opened up a path that ultimately led to me becoming the 27th Prime Minister of Australia, but... But as great a testimony as that is to our country, we are still letting children down. Children with disability, children from poorer homes, Indigenous kids. All of these children are more likely to miss out on the great education that I received. As both Prime Minister and Deputy Prime Minister, I knew that to create social justice, to fairly distribute opportunity, we first had to ensure that every single child received a great education. As a government we designed and started to roll out a needs based funding model to ensure every school had the ability to deliver a high quality education. We focused on quality, tying new funding to an improvement agenda for our schools, better teaching greater investment in developing literacy and numeracy, the building blocks of a good education, empowered principals, more computers and national curriculum written by experts, not politicians. We prioritised transparency, delivering the My School website so that we could better understand which schools and methods were getting results and how we could improve, particularly for our most disadvantaged children. We reformed our universities, ensuring more students from disadvantaged backgrounds could earn a university education and we expanded apprenticeship numbers. We worked hard to improve access to affordable, high quality early childhood education and care. Over the last 25 years, research has shown that the best opportunity we have to influence a child's life chances is through their early education. We know that the children who struggle at school and then later in life are those living in the most socially and economically disadvantaged and very remote areas of Australia. If this disadvantage is not addressed early, then it permeates throughout all of life. Through better care and attention, we can stop children from failing before they even reach school. We can ensure that they have the best chance to excel in their cognitive and social development. We can give them a head start to achieve throughout the rest of their lives. Our national quality agenda sought to do just that. By improving staff to child ratios, we ensured the children receive the attention they need. And by boosting staff qualification requirements, We have helped our hardworking and dedicated early childhood staff to develop the skills they need to deliver a great early education. I am deeply proud of the work we did to improve access to a quality education for the children of Australia. And I am very proud that the primary author of the landmark blueprint to lift the quality of our schools Stands by the work he led and the commitments we need to keep our children and their success in life in the years ahead that David Gonski has made such an important speech. I'm proud too of what my government did to unlock fairness for those Australians who needed our support the most. We launched Disability Care to support around 460,000 Australians with disability, their families and carers. How we cared for those with disability in Australia had become an equality issue. 460,000 Australians who we had let down for far too long. Through our investment in the National Broadband Network we made a commitment to unlock the opportunities that greater connectivity and togetherness can bring to our communities. We delivered health reform pouring thousands of new doctors and nurses into the system and delivering record levels of access to bulk billing. We invested in the long-term disadvantaged to bring them back into work and the dignity and pride that comes with it. As part of creating a system of fairness at work, we supported the Australian Services Union equal pay case for women working in the social and community services sector The predominantly women who assist families and children in crisis staff our women's refuges look after our sick and others in need we launched the Royal Commission into child abuse in institutional settings finally providing (laughs) finally providing an avenue for those who had been denied the most basic form of justice for so long an opportunity to speak out. We enhanced our efforts to support gender equity globally by investing $48.5 million over four years in UN women and $320 million over 10 years to empower women in the Pacific. We also appointed Australia's first global ambassador for women and girls. I am deeply honoured to have had the opportunity as Prime Minister to deliver on the social goals I have been fighting for my whole life and I am deeply honoured to have built on the work of so many social justice campaigners who came before me. Social justice is not a given. It does not just happen. It has to be defined, fought for, defended It is fragile. The fragility of some of what we have built and what we still must achieve has become so evident over recent months. We have seen the recommendations of the Commission of Audit and the response of the government in the budget that was handed down earlier this month. Budgets are made of choices. They make us, all of us, no matter what side of politics we are on, think about what we care about the most what we want valued in our society, what we want to create and reward, preserve and defend. And that is why we are here today. We understand those choices, which ones are right and which ones are wrong. Social justice is formed from the decisions we take as governments, as individuals and as communities to prioritise fairness. These decisions must be made and remade every day. The arguments that underpin them must be prosecuted and re-prosecuted every day. We need to be clear on what kind of country we want to be for the next century. Who will we care for? What will we value? How will we maximise and share opportunity? In answering these questions, we define our purpose, our dedication to fairness. We need to deliver on this purpose, no matter the opposition we face or the difficulties we encounter. We are not alone in these challenges. Progressive values and the fairness they seek to uphold are under threat across the globe. In the United States, notwithstanding the heroic efforts of President Obama, The American middle class is still struggling to find a firmer measure of economic security. Income growth is stagnant, income inequality is growing and Washington is gridlocked. More desperately in places like sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East we see the most basic tenets of social justice under attack in the most extreme ways. Right now the world is shocked and rightly outraged at the kidnapping of over 200 schoolgirls in Nigeria. That is 200 young women denied their basic right to an education and instead destined for a life of slavery. But while these events focus our resolve, we must not be fooled into believing that these abuses are isolated instances. Attacks on basic human rights and social justice are disgustingly common. Consider these statistics for just a moment. According to estimates from the International Labour Organization at least 980,000 children are in forced labour as a result of trafficking. 35% of women aged 20 to 24 years old globally were married as children. In 2011 million children aged under 5 died, mostly from diseases that could be prevented. 57 million school aged children are currently not receiving an education and around 250 million children in the world either fail to make it to grade 4 or do not reach the minimum level of reading, writing and doing maths. This is our world the ones we share our world with, this is their lives. If we want to change it, education for every child is the key. It is that mission of Education for All to which I am dedicating my personal energies now. Through my role as Chair of the Global Partnership for Education, I am working to ensure that all girls and boys, no matter where they grow up or what their parents do for a living, have access to a high quality education. In June, we will be holding the Second Replenishment Pledging Conference in Brussels, where we were asking for a commitment of US$3.5 billion from our donors. $3.5 billion. This is a difficult task. (laughs) But these investments are worth making. We can lift 171 million people out of poverty by ensuring every student in low income countries acquires basic reading skills. We can boost agricultural output in sub-Saharan Africa by up to 25% through investing in girls' education. If we can teach a child's mother to read, that child will be 50% more likely to live beyond the age of five. With $3.5 billion, The global partnership can support the schooling of 29 million children in 66 countries and increase the quality of the education provided. A quality education amplifies and sustains human, economic and social development. It lifts children out of poverty. It brings their families with them. It empowers and it emboldens. It is essential to creating socially just, equitable communities. The world I want to see globally is one where all children, no matter who they are or where they live, get a great education. And of course, this includes Australia. At home, I want a world-class education to be the norm, not the exception. I want us to be invigorated by measuring our performance and use such measurements to enhance equity, not be scared by it. I want kids to get great jobs, to keep learning constantly train and reskill to meet the new and complex needs of this the Asian century I want to see an educated country a compassionate country and a country that holds social justice and fairness at the core of its identity I want our country to take these values to the world to constantly serve as a model for and be an advocate of social justice globally friends Social justice is under threat on multiple fronts. It is under threat in Australia and the fight for it globally is as hard as ever. It has taken those before us over a century to build universal access to health care, a more equitable and quality education system, a safety net and real support for our parents and grandparents. As a nation, our foreign aid program has invested billions of dollars into developing countries to ensure that the social justice that we have sought to create for ourselves is shared globally. When we don't have a political leadership willing to fight for social justice, the responsibility will inevitably weigh heavy on our communities. It will weigh heavy on the third sector, on our charities and volunteers. It will weigh heavy on our student movements, on the press and on our public servants. It will weigh heavy on our communities and both you and me in this room today. From this great weight, we must grow stronger. We must be clear about our purpose. We must speak with conviction. What I learned from Joan is something that has driven me every waking day in public life, that to succeed in shaping our world, you have to have a sense of purpose about the goals and values you want to serve. Joan epitomises purpose in public life. This is why she's one of the greats amongst us and why we respect her and care for her and love her very much. What Joan taught me and what she teaches us every day is that we must never stop striving to create the socially just Australia and socially just world that the children who follow us deserve. I have complete faith that the conviction to do so is here in this room and I hope through the course of this conference you will find that conviction burning stronger. I wish you all the best as you take the skills and ideas you have learned at this conference and translate them into your sense of purpose so that you can build your own socially just communities. Joan expects no less from each of us. Thank you very much.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this highlight from the Communities in Control library. If you did, we'd love you to rate or review this podcast in the iTunes store and for you to share it with your friends. For further information about Communities in Control, visit communitiesincontrol.com.au